This is a Rooster Teeth production. In 1978, a group of five friends disappeared after attending a college basketball game. Months later, four of them were found to have died under mysterious circumstances while the fifth was never seen again. Today we're going to dive into the theories surrounding this puzzling case and try to piece together what might have happened to the Yuba County Five. This is Red Web. Welcome back to Red Web. I'm your host, Trevor Collins, and with me is Alfredo Diaz, bringing those gut checks flying blind with me. We have a, uh, a part two on our hands now. Hold on, don't click away, because uh, this one's interesting. Now, I'm, I'm going to give you a quick synopsis if you didn't listen to last week's mm-hmm. episode, so that way you can stay on board and know what's going on with this case. But if you want to hear all the details about this case, it's very interesting. I encourage you to listen to last week's episode where we go really into the details of the history and how this case unfolded, the search party, the investigation, etc. But today is going to be mostly focused on the theories because, man, are there a lot of thoughts to have oh, around yeah. this one. Oh, sorry. Let me adjust my mic real quick. There it is. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> a little baby was sitting there. A little baby was sitting there. He had to, he had to adjust his microphone. <laughs> I feel like we got a mascot in baby hands. I just don't know what the thing looks like. <laughs> is he mostly hands? <laughs> I I think baby hands is is like I think what we discussed over like Slack. It's a ghost with little hands. It's just a ghost with like it's, it's real like, it's tiny a ghost hands. with really tiny hands. Yeah, no arms. It's just hands yeah. on the side of his uh, corporeal form. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Or is it ethereal? I don't know. Whatever's non-tangible, yeah, ghostly like. I think that's baby hands. Baby hands. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, our friends over at Face Jam have their their monkey plush. I feel like we need a baby hands <laughs> plush, you know what I mean? <laughs> I want to snuggle up to some baby hands while I'm cozy watching some horror films or something. But Fredo, drop baby hands. Put them on the side for a second. Talking about this case, what do you remember before we dive into this recap? Because I know you were deeply fascinated by this one. Yeah, the Dyatlov Path. Uh, it's it's like kinda, the yeah, U.S. Like, version of it. Yeah, yeah. Right, because U.S. has to always have their own version. Um, of course, of course. Damn you for remaking the raid and Train to Busan because that's what they want to do. What's the time to they film? They made the raid. They're going to. They're going what? to. Yeah. Oh, it's like why? Yeah, that movie's it's perfect. It's a near perfect yeah. film. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? And Train to Busan. Hold on, everybody at home. I think I heard all the stopwatches click at the same time. The time, <laughs> the time to film was extraordinary this week. <laughs> It was pretty quick. The time to movie reference, <laughs> nigh immediate. That was pretty much right off the bat. That was one of the first things I said. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just really fascinating because there's so many different angles, so many different mm-hmm. ways to to take this and break it down. And like I was talking about in the previous episode, we pretty much have a, like, it is mostly solved, but yet there's... an enough crumbs here to say that's still a mystery right and there's still some missing key pieces to this puzzle um we know how it ends yeah we just don't know very much at all of how we approach that ending and that's where these theories come in play i mean we have a, a couple of family members speaking in here on what they thought happened and mm-hmm. honestly like I, w- I thought we were getting a little out on the limb last week because we only have so many 
crumbs to kind of bite into here. Right. And so I feel like any theory is just kind of throwing it at the wall, just making something up. But that's kind of uh, what everyone's doing here. Okay. But kind of like, let's let's rehash. Let's kind of jump back in and give you all kind of like a, a refresh on the main pieces at play. Again, if you if you are jumping into this episode, we're, we're trying to make sure that you can uh, fully listen to this one and not feel lost. But I do encourage you, if you want those details, that uh, luscious conversation of last week goes into it. But this case starts on February 24th, 1978. We had five friends in Yuba County, California. They attended a college basketball game in Chico, California. And on the way home, things went awry. Instead of going south home, they went quite far out east into the mountains and got lost. We have 30-year-old Jack Madruga. We have 32-year-old Ted Weyer. We have 24-year-old Jack Hewitt, 24-year-old Bill Sterling, and 25-year-old Gary Mathias. Now, these are all good friends, and we'll kind of talk a little bit more about Gary Mathias in particular. After the basketball game, like I mentioned, they went up into the mountains and uh, were never seen again, at least not alive. Madruga's Montego was found about 70 miles from Chico, where the game was that they had attended. Uh, and it was near Plumas National Park. The car was in great condition. The snacks that they had bought at a gas station just prior uh, were still kind of in there, wrappers and other things. The window was rolled down, which was strange. The car had gas, so they knew that it wasn't because of that. They were able to hotwire and get the car going, so they knew it wasn't engine trouble, perhaps. The boys were nowhere to be found. So off begins a, a search for the boys. And at some point, someone named Joseph Shans came forward saying that they had seen the car that night. They had seen the boys and they had seen also a couple other mysterious figures and a pickup truck. So we have a lot of other potential people in play here out in the wilderness, uh, specifically a woman carrying a baby that didn't respond to his cries for help as he was having his own car and health troubles at the time. Yeah, not necessarily like, you know, you say there's there's a ton of people there, but none of them came across as like, oh, maybe they right like had something to do with it. Yeah, you nothing know? really kind of raised an eyebrow too much. Yeah, it, it's like one of those things where it, it it was like a story in itself, right? Yeah, the the one guy by himself was um he had his car was, stuck. His car got stuck. He tries he, to push it. Because right? he was out there. Yeah, he tries to push it. He's starting to have a heart attack. He's out there because he was just scoping out, like, locations for his family to camp in. Right. Weird. Then he's calling for help. Someone with the truck rolls up. Uh, people, woman, child. And they just get in, turn off the lights, back off. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it's this weird little, like, side story. Exactly. That's going off on the side. But oddly enough, and you think with a lot of these types of episodes and cases that we cover... Anyone that's involved like this has something to do with the disappearance, but right. they really didn't seem to have anything to do with it at it all. It didn't seem. It was more as like, hey, these are the people that possibly had a sighting of them, um, but them and themselves had their own weird experience. Right. Yeah, it definitely didn't seem like he might have. I mean, there's ways you can kind of conceive of this person being involved if you start yeah. to really look into what you, the family was saying with the, well, them ignoring a cry for help would be out of character. There's a lot of things that the parents were saying are you, in and out of yeah. character. And so really all you can do is kind of theorize, right? And and your your natural desire, as you said, is to kind of focus on the people that were involved. But mm-hmm. other than that, other than the idea of theorizing around this guy, he just seems to be like another person, another kind of victim to the road. Uh, stuck in the mountains, having a low-key heart attack, not, you know, early symptoms of... And, uh, you know, kind of just stayed in his car to recover. And he ended up being there into the night where he then 
said he saw a lot of other activity. But after the search, we had uh, other people saying that they were seeing these five men, including a red pickup truck. In Brownsville, there was a store where an employee said, hey, yeah, this, this red pickup truck rolled up. Some of them went to a payphone, two of them stayed in the car, and one came inside when that was their sighting. And it was corroborated by the owner. But this was also like days after they first this initially went missing. So mm-hmm. like the weird thing that we kept discussing in the, you know, the first part of the episode was the fact that like, okay, so they went there, got stuck, had no gear for camping or being out in the cold, um, then got into this random truck, this red pickup truck. Mm-hmm. Went they didn't to, own, and it was just them with it. Yeah. Right? So went over to a convenience store, had access to you know people, phone, civilization, safety, and decided to go back out into the wilderness. Right. Where four out of five of them perished. Right. And so what? Like, right. It's still so weird. And on top like, of that's that, that's why I don't believe the convenience. Like I, mm-hmm. I was talking about it again in the first part where I just had to strike that from my memory because it doesn't make any sense to me. Right. Like, it really doesn't add up. It seems the most concrete when you look at it on paper, but because the police are saying, yeah, the store owner's corroborating it, there's, like, two witnesses here, like, with descriptions and everything, but, yeah, as the case unfolds, you find that, yes, the bodies were then found a few miles from where the car was supposed to be, and... Then you start to go, well, then why weren't they able to find them in the early searches, right? They called the search off due to weather in early March, somewhere between March 6th and March 9th. I don't remember exactly. And that was kind of it. I mean, they. but then suddenly in June, uh, near the beginning of June, some bikers were coming along. They noticed a broken window at one of these abandoned trailers in the area. They noticed a weird smell. So these bikers go over to check it out. They find the remains of someone. Uh, the police then look around the area. They find three others. Basically, all but Matthias. Gary Matthias was found. And so then, it, like, this is kind of leading us into now the theories as to, wait a minute, if they weren't that far away, why did the police and in their investigation not be able to find them? Yeah. Um, so, did they have helicopters involved with this yes. search? Yes. So... How did they not... How far off was the trailers exactly? I know we have like maps now and everything like that. and Because in my mind, this is a very visible kind of like structure site. Very close to each other when you look at a broad map. Let me, let me see. Because like it was a bit confusing. But when I look at the notes here, it says many sources, most of the sources that we could find say that the trailer was 19 miles from where the Montego was left. Uh, but there was a book that came out in 2020 that we're going to reference again today that's, that was entitled Out of Bounds that had author Drew Beeson who wrote that. Now, he was saying if they went on foot and followed the roads, it would be more like 11 miles. And then if you really wanted the exact distance as the crow flies, so to speak, it would have been about 5.6 miles. So basically, we have a bit of a range here, which is kind of yeah. frustrating because I feel like this is something that should be locked in fact. But... <gasps> All that is to say is not super far. I mean, yes, it's a wooded area. Yes, it's like the wilderness. And so I don't mean to simplify such a task, but right. all things considered, it's interesting that uh, that these nearby trailers weren't weren't explored until some other motorcyclists kind of came through and happened yeah, upon especially them. Especially if you're flying around a copter. I mean... They might have been like, listen, they're abandoned, so why bother? But... <sighs> You know, that's just such a misstep in, in my mind. If right. That's so it's like the weather conditions were 
pretty harsh. So uh, that just seems like an obvious thing to check and look into. Right. 100%, especially when you consider that these boys were not dressed for the weather. Yeah. But the last major piece of information to get you all back up to speed on this case is that the four bodies were found, one in these trailers, one up northeast a few miles away, and two just south of the trailers a few miles away. Weyer was the one found in the trailer. He had lost an estimated 80 pounds due to starvation and not being able to have sustenance at the time, and they were said to have lived for about 8 to 13 weeks. Now, this is such a range because they're only going off estimates, and it's really hard to tell, but uh, they're going off beard growth uh, because these men living in these trailers, you know, would have let their beards grow. And one last strange piece of information, outside of the fact that they all died from either starvation and or exposure or a combination, right, was that in this trailer, there were provisions and blankets and and things of that nature. So it it just seems strange that uh, they would have continued to kind of make this their base and continued to go out. Someone left their shoes, but were found further away, kind of passed away to exposure. Like, why wouldn't they bring their shoes with them? Why wouldn't they get into the canned goods that were in this trailer? A lot of questions happening. But with that said, that kind of brings you all up to speed on this very mysterious case And we're going to dive into the theories now. Uh, But before we do, I know we were kind of throwing a lot of theories at the wall. Uh, Fredo, do you have any that you remember that you wanted to talk about before we kind of get into it? Um, Before that, I just have another thought, which is just, I mean, they they drove up a trail Mm -hmm. and they parked on that trail. So, yeah, good point. So it was paved up until a point Mm -hmm. and then they drove because it was plowed. There was a snow plow that had cleared it. But then past the paved point, the road continued, and it was rocky terrain. That's where they continued, in a Montego, pretty low to the ground. But it was in perfect condition, so it seemed like whoever was driving was very careful. And early theories said that they got stuck in the snow. But why wouldn't they just travel back down the trail? It's a good question. Like, what was the factor? Like, I think the biggest question is, what was the factor that pushed them further in? Absolutely. Like, that's a, that is the question, I think. Just walk the trail back. Yeah. Ah, man, that's just crazy. I mean, I'm going to reference this map again. Now, we'll post this, uh, I believe we did last week, but we'll post it at least now again on our Twitter page, at RedWebPod, so you can get an idea of the lay of the land. Because when I refer to Chico and uh, Yuba County and Yuba City in particular, and then this mountain pass, most people aren't locals to the Sacramento area. So it's it's really hard to get an idea of just how far off this is from where they were meant to be going. It's almost a straight south route to get home. And I'll point to you now, Fredo, like they went probably halfway down towards home before they then went off the road and then started going pretty starkly northeast. equally north as they traveled south. So their their final destination ended up being almost straight east of Chico out in the wilderness rather than straight south where their home and family and everything, their their big game the next day that they were super stoked to do, uh, that's where all that was. And so a lot of things out of character, but interestingly, and something we'll kind of talk about in the theories, there's a few things that seemed odd to us that were actually quite in character, and we'll kind of talk about perhaps why. But So we're going to start with the simplest one before we dive into what is probably the broadest and most potentially deep one. So the simplest explanation for what happened to the Yuba County Five is that they simply got lost. Now, I want to sidebar and say that 
Only two of these five men had a driver's license, and they were driving Jack Madruga's Montego. I mean, he was very into his vehicle, very protective of it. But they also like this going to college games and enjoying basketball was a passion of theirs. And it was very, per the parents, very out of their nature to not be coming straight back home. Uh, in fact, one of the other friends did not like staying away from home. Let it be overnight or out late, what have you, just didn't like to be off the plan. I know it's easy to say, like, simply got lost and then things kind of fell out of that way. But I think your question as far as why did they keep going down this path, whether they took a wrong turn or not, is the big question. Because... One doesn't just get simply lost by driving down the main highway on the way home. I mean, they've taken this path many times. Yeah, it's just weird, right? Because then if you're saying that they got lost, then there's a couple of factors there. Mm -hmm. Like if you're saying that they got lost and ended up at the park from the location that they started off in, then that's just weird because you got lost using, what, going down the different highways mm -hmm. and stuff like that? Like, and then decided to drive. Like, I'm sure the mountain area wasn't just like a, oh you were driving on a highway now you're like on a mountain trail like i'm sure it was very much like it splits off into its own thing and it has mm -hmm. like signs you know what i mean right city signs and all that kind of stuff like it's very clear that you're heading in that direction even then you start heading in that direction turn the heck around like it's not yeah. where you want to go then the other half is just like okay you know like i said um, moments ago so then at that point they drove up the road got stuck and decided to keep going further in if they went there set up camp even if it was like a mile away half a mile away or whatever it is from their vehicle from the road then i could see the whole loss factor but i just don't see like what the motive is for that right what i think as far as being lost you know because they had to drive the opposite direction to get to the game in returning, it's dark, right? So I'm trying to think, you know, I've I've been in unfortunate situations, even on very familiar roads where I end up in an exit-only lane and off I have to go. I'm like, you know what? Whatever. I'm not going to risk my life or others to try to yoink it back on the street. I'm just going to take the exit and turn around. And so maybe that's what they were doing. That's what proponents of this theory kind of tend to think. They, they think perhaps, you know, all right, we realize we're on the wrong road. Or maybe they didn't realize for quite some time because it's dark, but at some point... I can see, okay, well, let's just keep going until we can find an easy place to turn around. What year was this again? 1978. February 1978. So it could be, okay. you know, they kept going. They're like, let's find a place to turn around, and it never came. It could be that they said, well, listen, I'm confident in my abilities to navigate, so why don't we just keep going until we find a southbound road, at which point I'll turn onto it, and we'll be good. And again, maybe that's something that never came. Thus, they unfortunately like kept going and going. How long is this drive from like Chico to, they're from Yuba City, That's right? a good question. Christian's tapping away. Our man in the chair. But yeah, I mean like Chico to Yuba City. From Chico to Yuba City is about an hour. So you're telling me they drove 30 minutes south. Then got lost, started started driving 30 minutes north. And within 30 minutes of driving north, there wasn't one available way to make That's a That's assuming equal speed, right? I mean, because yeah. like, it looks like they went equal distance. So, so what's the distance between the cities? I guess that'll help me convey. From Chico to Yuba City, it's about 46 miles. Okay. So more or less, they went half that, 23 miles toward Yuba City, ended up on a different eastbound road which then went northeast probably 
roughly 23 miles again. And that's all just like, just visually speaking, it looks yeah. about equidistant. I, with all the twists and turns, it's probably more like 30, but but yeah, it's basically what happened. 30, 30 miles, not one way to turn around. Yeah. So maybe, like, unless you want to believe that they didn't realize till way late. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm just... This is certainly a theory. I'm just struggling to find the reality in just like the lost, just like just getting lost and like having yeah. this be then after that a comedy of errors, right? And then an unfortunate one at that. Um, I might have forgotten this information, but have they driven this route before? They had at least driven it up to the game, yeah. I, but I believe because this was their favorite college team, right? That that they had done this before, but yeah, it was never concretely said one way or the other, but. Like Trevor said, it's almost safe to assume that they've driven that route before. Yeah, because for them, ball is life. And this is like right. their favorite team. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Yeah, man. I don't know. That's that's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. Well, let's see if this helps. I'm going to dive back into okay. the theory because like I have I don't want to cloud my own judgment with my own opinions. But so at this point, you know, if they were to somehow, however way, end up on this new path, whether purposefully or inadvertently, you know, and they got lost and in, in deep into this unfamiliar territory. It could have been that they were unsure of what to do due to the stress of the situation and the harsh cold only kind of exacerbated the situation, making it a very kind of stressful and worrisome time. Now, with all the things in play, the parents have kind of come forward and said, this, that, and the other don't seem in character for these five men. However, uh, when the police were talking to the parents, the parents had said that a lot of their decision-making wasn't surprising. Uh, for example... Uh, the not pushing the car out of the snow, uh, the not utilizing the provisions in the Forest Service trailer. These are things that the parents are saying are in line with some of their decision making. Now, one can only then extrapolate from that and say, well, maybe then there is or was an inclination to exacerbate a getting lost situation mm. because of that. But again, that's only guesswork, right? Yeah. Now, the police in particular believe that they have been following the tracks left by the snowplow and tried to find help and eventually grew tired and succumbed to exposure. So that's another interesting idea here is if they did end up off this wrong path and they didn't and they somehow got turned around not knowing, did we go left? Did we go right? Did we come from left? Come from right? Whatever. They said, well, at least follow the snowplow, right? Because that will invariably take you to summit like Either end of that track is going to take you to civilization. It's just unfortunate that in this particular case, you know, if you go down a cul-de-sac, eventually that snowplow has to turn around. So if you follow it the wrong way, you could end up at a dead end, which is kind of what happened. But at this point in the theory, it's, it's where we start to really look at some of the smaller things that kind of led a lot of people to theorize that foul play might be in play with regards to this case. That it wasn't just getting lost alone but instead that there might have been other parties involved. And that's where we really kind of, I feel like you start end up storytelling a little bit because yeah. again, there's just so few things to try to grasp onto. Madruga's mother, Madruga again was the one who owned the vehicle, said that it was out of character for her son to leave the car window open because that's not something that he would do. And he didn't have the knowledge of the road or the skill of driving with which to get the car to where it was completely unscathed. Remember, that was a big thing was that the car was, uh, it's a pretty low riding car, not built for this terrain, very rocky road, but to have it completely full unscathed, full car, fully loaded, full of guys. And um, 
And he also didn't like camping, so he had no experience in this particular area. So it just, to his mom, it just seemed strange. And this kind of opens the door to, okay, well, somebody else driving. Who would that person be? Uh, was it one of the people in the group or was it another party, like a, a third party that somehow started to engage with this, uh, this group of five? Now, this part of the theory, this part of her statement, I should say, can go both ways. It can help the idea of being lost. It could also help the idea of perhaps foul play. But she seemed very confident in her son's sense of direction because he had worked previously as an army truck driver. And so it could be that confidence that led them astray, kind of like what I was saying earlier, if he got into a situation where he was lost, he goes, well, listen, why don't we just continue to forge ahead? We haven't found a way to turn around. Maybe we'll find another road, a southbound road, or an, I'll, I'll be able to figure out our way back home. I know we all have dads that are probably very similarly yeah. minded where they're like, yep. don't need directions. Just give me the sun and I'll find our way. You know what I mean? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I can figure this out myself. But being in an unfamiliar territory could lead you to a lot of things, right? It could lead lead you down the path of getting lost inadvertently, or it could lead you to asking a stranger, and that stranger then has other nefarious ideas in mind, motives in play. It's hard to know. But on that note, and kind of in closure of this theory, Madruga never would have let someone else drive his car. And this is what his, his family is saying. But also, they found it strange, the police and the families considered it strange that they continued up the mountain into the wilderness yep, that's the thing. towards these trailers. It just feels so deliberate. It feels very deliberate. It doesn't feel like a, a getting lost situation as much as perhaps a guiding situation. And that's also where I want to kind of bring back up the idea of perhaps why the police didn't search in the direction of the trailers. Because, you know, the police were saying, well, if they were looking to get help, they would probably backtrack, right? So let's search down the mountain rather than up. But I feel like, and I'll address this again later, this is where I wish the communication between the park rangers and the police were a little bit better. We had the park ranger who stumbled across this car but didn't know about the missing kids or men until later on. And we have the police looking for these men but didn't know about the car for a while. And so there's a lot of weird miscommunications or yeah. non-communications that I feel like would have Department's not talking to each other and stuff. Hondo. But yeah, that's where we really enter the arena of the foul play theory. There is a lot of information on this. There's a lot of okay. uh, sub-theories within it coming from the family members. Um, and this, I feel like, connects most of the dots uh, more cleanly. But again, it I don't know. It could just be a situation where they got lost somehow. Yeah. Um, and then it was just poor decision-making beyond that. It's hard to say. Yeah. So let's talk about foul play and let's talk about some of those particular theories. In an interview with Madruga's mother, she said, quote, There was some force that made him go up there. We can't visualize someone getting the upper hand on these five men, but we know it must have been. And, and this is where, you know, it's hard to say because you know that the family has a vested interest in their kids. And you know that they don't want it to be their kids' faults or, or just chance. You, you want to have some sort of closure. Um, and so the mind might go towards a compelling force happening but you also want to trust the family because they're the ones that know the victims the best and what would be within and out of character and it seems very much so that a lot of these folks feel that there was another party in play on top of that they said that uh, you know maybe they took the wrong turn and realized it was too late before ending up running into someone nefarious but there are a lot of other ideas as to how they ended up up there that we'll go into in a minute but 
at some point, you know, we talked about Sean's who said he saw a woman in the baby and a pickup truck and then eventually said he saw right. five five men walking along and then eventually while leaving seeing the car kind of combining some of these elements maybe one of these parties had sinister means or some other motives in play or maybe Sean's himself or this woman uh, or maybe the baby uh, just had other motives right when they when they the group of five came across them and the stories that were being told by Sean's actually weren't what happened they said oh well you know I, I called out for help and they kind of walked on without me and then I managed to leave on my own maybe instead you know he's just kind of he did see them but he then kind of engaged with them in some sort of nefarious way and then interesting and then when the cops asked him, he was like, oh, no, I saw, I saw someone else up there. And then I, right. you know, then they ignored me. And then now I'm just here, little old victim myself. Yeah, you know, like, him by himself playing the victim role. I feel like, though, wouldn't you be able to, I doubt they'd check it, but medically check if someone, there'd be signs, right? If someone was having a heart attack or build up towards a heart attack, I feel like there'd be, maybe there'd be some signs, like physically. Or like you can run some tests to see. I mean, you could put the man on a treadmill or make him push a car again and see, <laughs> no, see if he, God. if you really, so you start struggling. You know, yeah, yeah. But I don't know. That's a good question. Turns out we're not doctors, Christian. Do you know? <laughs> I'm trying to think how I would even look that up. I mean, I guess we talked in in the first episode about the broader symptoms yeah. of of a heart attack. But yeah, is there a way to to see if your body was actually experiencing one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If your body's now at its normal. Right. Other than like getting a physical and maybe yeah. getting a cardiogram right. or, yeah. or taking Which is inventory like of your a, heart. Yeah. Like, Which I'm saying, like they wouldn't do all yeah. that. But it's also worth noting, now that you've got me thinking about that, because we looked up those symptoms and because we were like, okay, well, some people were wondering if Sean's was perhaps delusional given his state. And that was one of the symptoms uh, of a heart attack is that you have some confusion and delusion right, going delusion, on. Yep. And and so that's what kind of draws into question his story. And it also could draw into question, you know, if he did actually interact with these men and he was out of character because of the situation he was in, uh, something went down, I don't know. Oh, but, oh, I'm, my mind's spiraling. I gotta get back on the rails here. But I guess what really comes into play for me is that these guys were alive for what they estimated were several weeks yeah, before weeks then succumbing. Because so then, like, how does that play into someone's like foul play, or maybe he pushed right. them towards like being lost? Uh, it's like it's that's what I'm saying. Nothing really fits. Yeah, even remotely perfectly. Right. All right. So I was doing a little looking, and according to the American Heart Association, an MRI can show tissue damage from a previous heart attack. Interesting. As well as EKGs, although less accurate and then blood tests so it is possible well can we trust them the american heart association can we trust them can they be trusted (laughs) we don't quite know are they involved with the owls (laughs) 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 doctor um that's interesting now, yeah, just this something is a bit that they a, a test they wouldn't perform. A, though. Yeah, like, they would. I they just, wouldn't cut this man's open. I don't need to see this man's heart. There's no, I don't know. There's, he's not a suspect. I would say, yeah, especially one of like foul play. So, yeah, I. You know what? I would let the police pay for my EKG and be like, listen, I think I had some early heart attack symptoms. You, you I mean, you could test me as a, a suspect to just pay for this medical bill. And they're you gonna know? go, nah. Yeah, we don't need that. Yeah. <laughs> We don't That's need your to do cost. Any of that. 
But also like what's what's kind of sucky. Oh my god. I I don't mean it this way. But here's the thing. As far as the case, not for this guy's health. I don't mean it this way. <laughs> he didn't have a full heart attack, so like you might not even be able to to see into that. I don't want to be like unfortunately, he had a light heart attack. Yeah. But I mean, but that's the situation is like so right. you might not be able to really dig into that. Hey everybody, it is Trevor, as always, talking to you about a couple of housekeeping notes here about Red Web. It is an exciting week because this Friday, Black Friday, we have a lot of really, really cool Red Web merchandise coming out. I'm super excited about all of it. It's stuff we have planned for a long time, but we have a black jacket coming out so you can represent the task force continually in the field. We also have a Field Notes little notebook if you want. We have a bunch of other little accoutrements, and we have a surprise coming in the near future. Just a little tease. Maybe it, maybe it features Mothman. I don't know. A little propaganda about that misunderstood hero. But if you want to support the task force, you can go to store.roosterteeth.com, search Red Web, and that is how you can get all that merchandise and support the show. Become a member of the task force. With some of that housekeeping out of the way, I want to talk about some of our fantastic sponsors for this episode. This episode of Red Web is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? That's where therapy can really make a difference. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. It's not a crisis line or self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online. BetterHelp offers a broad range of expertise that might not be available locally to you, and their service is available worldwide. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and live chat sessions with your therapist. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Why invest in everything else and not your mind? You know what I'm talking about? This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy, and task force members can get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash redweb. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash redweb. This episode of Red Web is also sponsored by Raycon. Is everyone getting ready for the holiday spirit? I know I am, because holiday shopping season is right around the corner, and you're probably already on your heels like I am every single year. But now is the perfect time to save on Raycon earbuds. I actually have a pair of Raycon earbuds, and I use those when I go on my runs and on my walks. They're nice and snug and low profile, so you don't look like a goober, but they come in a whole bunch of different shapes and sizes for those varying size of ear holes that you might have. I like the the large gel tips, which is nice and comfortable, and uh, keeps all the car noise out of my ear when I'm trying to just focus on my podcast. You know what I mean? Uh, But with seamless Bluetooth pairing and comfortable noise isolating fits, you can start listening right away and keep listening for hours. The audio quality is amazing comparable to what you get from other premium brands, except, hey, Raycon starts at half the price. And Raycon offers eight hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. Go to buyraycon.com slash redweb today to unlock exclusive deals up to 20% off your Raycon order. But hurry, this offer is available for a limited time only, and you don't want to miss it. Again, that's buyraycon.com slash redweb to unlock the 20% off your Raycons. Buyraycon.com slash redweb. Listen to us in style and support the show. All right, and with that said... Let's dive right back into the mystery. Okay, so let me jump back on the rails here with this foul play theory. The theory continues to say stuff like, you know, if they took a wrong turn, maybe they realized too late before running into someone nefarious. And the five could have run into the woman with the baby. They could have run into Sean's himself or any number of people up this path, right? Because it's not too far from a campground. And maybe they did try to, to, to ask for help before then either being abducted or maybe they saw something that they shouldn't have seen 
We just don't know about that. Right. Especially if you want to take what Sean's is saying at face value, which again, I, I don't mean to throw all this suspicion on this guy. Like he's just a dude yeah. out here for all we know. I mean, get him. if he's like, hey, could you help me? And he just right. sees, maybe this woman didn't walk up with a baby in her hands. Uh, and listen, I don't want to get rid of the baby as a suspect either. Let's yeah. keep him under the spotlight. That here. is suspect number two. Yeah. In my mind. But maybe this woman was holding a bundle of something else. Because yeah. remember, Sean's is saying he saw this figure silhouetted by the headlights. And when he calls out, he says, help me. They're like, they silently back out of there, turn the lights on and ditch. Like, did we witness some sort of potential deal going down? And did the five men stumble across the other party? You know, like whoever this woman or this person was supposed to be meeting right. up with. Was this a, a handoff sort of situation? I mean... Was this the Lindbergh baby? I don't know. <laughs> Just making crossovers. They were also at a game, too, which there's rivalries. And then did they get chased by another... Ooh, yeah. By, like, another group of people. Did they get rowdy at the game? And, yeah, like, you know, some chased, unsportsmanlike conduct got, on the play? Got chased up there. Uh I mean, there's just, it just, any of these thoughts and theories just fizzle out so quickly because there's so much lack of evidence. I'm starting to think. That gap in the middle. Yeah. Now, I'm starting to think your gut check goes beyond just, you know. I've transcended. Yes. I think you've transcended. I think Thank you. you might have a sixth sense, my friend. Because you always, he's just rubbing his chin now going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. Tell me more about Because you always, <laughs> I'm not talking you up, I'm saying you're a freak you, of nature. You're always about. somehow knowing where my notes yeah. are going to go, and this man's supposed to come in yeah. not knowing what's happening. You well, you know, they did say that, look, they did say that about Charles Xavier and his X-Men, okay? And now look Fredo's at him. sitting over here like okay. he's in Cerebro. Like, yes. I'm going to identify yes. where these men are. Now, all right, close your eyes and hold this pen, and maybe on, and, and maybe you'll kind of... Uh, like where they're located. Yeah, you know, like just <laughs> blindly land on the map where the bodies landed. Yeah, I, okay, so here's the thing. You, you talk about this. That is part of the theory that perhaps, you know, they were chased up there. And we'll get there. But I want to refer back to that book from 2020 entitled Out of Bounds. It also included a new theory in that from a local of Chico that may have been involved. Uh, the author saying that after interviewing locals, Beeson was informed that an altercation occurred the same night the five disappeared, nicknamed the Bear Market Brawl. You might recognize the name Bear, B-E-H-R, as the market that they stopped at. Remember, uh, that's where oh, the cashier or yeah. one of the employees there was closing up when the five rolled in, got some snacks. It's verifiable. Mm-hmm. Uh, or at least as best as we can, right? It's verifiable because there's snack wrappers and things was left there, in the car. Was there no, like, security camera? That's a good question. I don't know if there's any CCTV. Not that we could find. Oh, yeah. God. God. Of course there wasn't anything we could find. <laughs> of course! <laughs> right. Well, it's the past, you know? They haven't figured out cell phones yet. Not really. Yeah, not really. Um, Maybe they had or, it, like... Or technology, right? I think they just have surveillance cameras that and... re-record over the same tape. And so... Damn it. You know? Uh, but this being such a new theory, you know, I guess it wasn't chased down or anything. But it could, it's possible that the five men might have been involved in this scuffle and it could have led to their disappearance. They could have been followed by somebody in a red truck, this pickup truck, maybe, I don't know. But it also kind of goes into play too, if you go back to the, the basketball game, if it was a very spirited game, 
uh, and they kind of got really into it. I don't know if maybe other people were out there being unsportsmanlike, but if their team won, people get rowdies at games. People could have gotten take rowdy, it really personally. Yeah, yeah, and they could have come for these guys. You know, it's it's just hard to say. But within this foul play theory lies a sub theory. And if I'm being really honest with you, Task Force, this I really started diving into this one myself, just as my own personal gut check. Uh, around Gary Mathias and kind of his situation. Mm. And we did remove it from part one because because this is in the theories section and I really started going off the rails, but it's interesting. So let me kind of outline it for you and see what your thoughts are, Fredo. So many people theorize that Gary Mathias was somehow involved in the disappearance. It's worth noting that Mathias is the only person of the group not to be found and also the only person other than Madruga that had a driver's license. So maybe this guy was the one driving. Let's see. He also was the only person of the group without a cognitive or learning disability. If you recall, we kind of talked about that a little bit in the first episode. Instead, Matthias developed an addiction and schizophrenia during his time in the army, which had at points, some points, caused him to have violent outbursts. It's also worth noting that he had in fact had many run-ins with the law and was the newest member of this friend group so it offers you you know a few holes to poke through yeah it really with regards does. to you know did he lead they them don't astray know him as well they don't know him for as long although this hasn't been brought to the table here the bodies were found four of them mm-hmm. out of the five the five being the fifth being madrugas so of those never found mm-hmm. doesn't seem like there was any reports of wounds or bruises or broken bones. Or right. They were all determined to have succumbed to exposure mm-hmm. or starvation or a combination right. therein. Which, I'd say that I would ever do this, but putting myself in a situation like this and be like, if I wanted to get rid of these people, I'd just force them out into the, you could just force them out into the, yeah. the weather conditions. It's true. It's a big gamble, but like, you know, yeah, it's, you get rid of someone without necessarily getting your hands dirty, right? Like maybe he led them deeper into the woods. Maybe he's the one that led them up the path. I don't know. Well, I'll continue yeah. reading from here, but there's okay. one note I want to say before I give a, a proper disclaimer that is owed. In 2019, Sacramento Bee article revealed previously unreported violent crimes, but Matthias's family responded and felt the stories were skewed in order to fit this narrative that Matthias killed the other four men. Now, here's the thing. I don't want to sit here and vilify schizophrenia. I don't want anyone to, to, to misunderstand that that's what's happening here. I am outlining the theory as it is out there, right? With all the facts and information. This isn't to, you know, right. make light of anybody afflicted with schizophrenia, no, no, nor no. is it to blame this person because they were diagnosed with it. It is merely a factor that theorists are trying to use as, far, as part of a bigger story here. So I just wanted to say that before we continue. Yeah, further. I mean, it, the factors that we're honing in on is that this was a newer person to, with the group and mm-hmm. they've had run-ins with the law. They have, a, you know, they've had some trouble in their past. Yeah. They're newer to the group, you know, and there's some apparently unreported crimes here. But and, you know, and this is where the parents come forward and they say, well, those those stories are skewed. There could be bias in play. But also, again, I, I believe it, right? News articles are built for clicks these days or, or, or built for buying papers, right? Yeah. So uh, that's how you get those sensationalized headlines. Yeah, you get a catchy headline and then people go, I need to read about this story. Right. 
But let's talk more about the parents uh, here because I think this is very much worth noting as a counterpoint to what we've kind of started to lay the groundwork for. So Matthias's parents and counselor confirmed that he had been taking his medications very diligently for the previous two years. And during that time, he had not had any episodes publicly or privately and was considered, quote, one of our sterling success cases, to quote his doctor or one of his doctors. And again, you know, if you wanted to have an air of uh, doubt, there is the possibility of bias being in play. But here's the thing, like when you you have the counselors and doctors with the reputation on the line yeah. and looking out for the for the betterment of, of their patients, I, I kind of want to believe this. And so, yes, as much as it might be a a an item to look into, right, right his past, it's interesting that he hadn't really had any issues leading up to this. And also with regards to these two years kind of prior to this that we're talking about medically, he also hadn't had any issues breaking the law in that window of time either. Um, but again, that doesn't change, you know, that he had in the past, um, right. that he had been arrested a few times. So I think that's what some folks have, with regards to this kind of side theory, have kind of extrapolated on. But sticking with Matthias in particular and kind of building more on, on that, um, it's worth noting Matthias did have a friend in this area, which could potentially explain why the group drove toward the mountains, not necessarily addressing why, but perhaps they're saying, hey, I got a good buddy up here. Maybe we can go celebrate with him, maybe pick him up, whatever. There's a couple reasons why they might go that direction. His friend lived in Forbestown. Let me see if I can find it on this map real quick. It's like five miles north of Brownsville, like four and a half miles. I guess where does that put them in in comparison, in conjunction with where the car was found. So Forbestown would be further south than where the car was found and the bodies were found. I can get an exact distance if you'd like. Um, maybe like a, a rough distance if you don't mind. But yeah, I guess while Christian looks that up, you know, his friend lived in Forbestown and maybe that's where they were headed and along the way, because this would be an unfamiliar route as opposed to going up to the basketball game, they might have taken a wrong exit without realizing it on their way to see him, especially it being so late in the night and potentially very dark. I don't know what the streetlight situation is, but when you're far removed from society, it gets real dark out there. Ooh, okay. Now yeah. there's possible motive and reasoning as to why they went that direction. Right. Doesn't have to be sinister. It just, uh, you know. Just need a nugget. Just need a nugget. And that's what that is. We Damn. got ourselves a whole six piece right here, perhaps. Ooh, now this okay. is what opens the door to Matthias being the one driving. Remember, he was the only other one of the group that had a driver's license. And therefore, maybe that could address why the window was down, why the car wasn't as dinged up as they might have expected. Because, right. you know, Madruga's mother was quoted as saying that she didn't think he had the, the skill necessary to drive that route without getting a little bit of a ding here and there. And also, yeah. he wouldn't have left his window down. So that's where the idea of a more skilled driver, mm -hmm. different habits. Mm -hmm. Right, right. But others believe that Matthias and this supposed friend, or maybe just the friend on their own, uh, had ulterior motives for leading the group into the mountains. So now we start to kind of, kind of I don't know, Occam's Razor says, well, maybe they're just going to see the friend because, yeah. but I mean, if you want to kind of get sinister with it, you know, maybe they did. Now, this is where I want to pause for a second and start to reflect like, and Christian, I know you're looking at the distance, so we can kind of come back to that for a second. I just found it, actually. It's <laughs> very rough estimate, okay. roughly 50 miles. Roughly from, 50 miles. Uh, Forbes Town to where the car was found. Okay, so they're quite a ways That's a good chunk. off. Yeah, and so that also, 
yeah, okay. Yeah, this, my mental map is getting a little rough around the edges, but, but another question for you, Christian, is did the police ever kind of pursue questioning with this, this friend, uh, up in Forbestown? Like, did they talk to them? Did they like, cause again, you know, if, if Gary Mathias is not found and people are theorizing that's not enough to get a search warrant or anything, but yeah, if people no. are found dead and there's potential foul play in, in play here and, and Gary's missing, why wouldn't they go to see this friend? Is he laying low there? Or does the friend know anything? Like, right. were you expecting them? Like, you got to start scratching some of the, or like pulling on some of these threads, you know? Oh, it's all so very interesting. Right. I mean, these are like decent distances to travel too. So yeah. it's not like, not like you just took a the wrong turn, kept going and went like, ah, I got him at this location. Like you'd have to buy time for a good amount of time. Right. I mean, I think that's the biggest point to me is that yep. not only outside of this theory, are they already so far off their familiar path, but then even within the theory, trying to address why that's the case, they're still so far off of yeah. where the target should have been. Yeah. And it's just a lot. It really is. I mean, even with how dark it is, you, you would imagine like you got the clock, you're figuring out like it shouldn't take this long to get there. It shouldn't be this high up the mountain. We've we've now gone off the paved road. Like it's, um, it's tough to say. Only thing I can find on whether his friends were pursued as suspects or officially questioned, there's one line from a Washington Post article that says that uh, Matthias's friends said that they had not seen him for a year. A year? So this would be a very interesting time to suddenly decide. Yeah, to just pop up? Like, I don't... Hmm. Especially if you're going to start saying, like, yeah, and they had something sinister planned, too. Like, all right, well... It is just coming time. off of, like... <laughs> you're creative. ...what he said, you know? Mm. But if what he said was true, then... I don't feel like that would be the reason because if they haven't talked for a year, I don't feel like I'd be like, hey, friend, we haven't talked for a year, but I'm going to come over and then also bring friends. Yeah. Like, weird. Imagine like a friend you hadn't seen in a year. I mean, close or otherwise, mm -hmm. shows up with four other guys, good friends of theirs. They're like, we just won the basketball game. Like, well, not their game, but the, their their yeah. favorite team's game. And uh, and then they're like, okay, cool. Come on in, I guess. It's 1030. <laughs> I'm trying yeah. to sleep. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, but I'll continue through my notes here because there's some more revelations and more kind of theorizing, as it were. But there's no previous behavior involving the other four that would suggest that he would turn on them, you know, with regards to this idea that there were ulterior motives, right? Mm -hmm. There's no previous behavior that would say that this is something he would do because he'd never shown signs of that before. And, and he was also believed to have been just as excited about the game the following day as the others were. And so he would have been just as eager to get home. I mean, again, can you believe it all? Yeah. That, I mean, I have to ask the question, who, who knows, but reportedly, and again, this is coming from his mother as the source. He told his mom, quote, we got a big game Saturday. Don't let me oversleep. So yeah, it, is, it just continues to, it brings us back to square one of the middle. What just, the heck is going on? Yeah. Yeah. It's just the big part. The beginning. I understand the end. We know the middle is just so muddy. It's very muddy. Especially because there's such big distances like yep. you know what i mean like this isn't just oh they went down the road or you know they drove a couple miles and no i mean these are 
the decent amount of space being traveled across and so ah oh man it makes the, the like the, the decisions feel like they have to be more deliberate than just a spur of the moment sure why not like it does happen but they had obligations in the morning that they really cared about i mean it's worth reminding everyone like it's worth cycling back on one of these guys did not like being out super late, didn't like unfamiliar territory, certainly not staying the night away from home. And that would be Jack Hewitt in particular for what it's worth. But like, I think that my mind is so caught on specifically the things that they're doing out of character to take them so far off the, the supposed beaten path, right? Like, it's just so strange. I guess I, I keep saying that, but it's not helping me get anywhere. But yeah, and going back to one of the things that we were discussing earlier, like if they got chased by a group of people, I'm sure there would have been like a gas station or something along the way that they could have just drove up to and ran inside and be like, hey, people are chasing us, following us, right? trying to drive us up the road. Um, you yeah, know? I mean, especially like, since they had stopped at that market, right? You would, you would suspect that if they were being chased that I... Well, hold on. Maybe they were chased from the basketball game to the market. That's the scuffle. And then... Well, no, the it, market was after, though. Right. I'm just trying to, like... So they either got chased from the market after... Why wasn't the scuffle talked about? That's what I'm wondering. Is, is like, the cashier, the, the employee there, as they were closing up, was like, yeah, the five came in, and uh, I saw them. They got some snacks, and off they went. Why wouldn't they mention the scuffle? Why is it that only in recent years that this brawl was kind of brought to the forefront. None of it makes sense. Yeah. Well, there's another kind of theory that might help address that, and we'll, we'll kind of get there here. But before we do that, we have Ware was one of the victims. Ware's sister-in-law hypothesized that maybe something occurred at the game that led the group to being chased. So I want to kind of talk about oh, okay. her hypothesis here. You know, it does kind of address the idea that they kept moving forward, that they kept pushing into the woods because if they were being chased, I mean, they're not going to want to stop. They're not going to want to slow down to turn around. And they're, so they just kind of pushed into the environment despite the harsh conditions. And it's also possible within this theory of hers that Matthias might have actually been off of his medications. Maybe if just for this day or for the week, it's hard to say. Again, this is complete just theorizing here. But if he were off of his medications, he could be under the belief that someone was following them and convinced the group to escape from this entity. And then you have, therefore, this group mm. thing happening, this very stressful situation. You have then kind of some poor judgment calls, I guess, being made because yeah. of that. But to address why he would be suddenly off of his medications after the doctor saying that he had two strong years of diligently taking it and being fine, um, some people, it, I'm not, I'm not sure if it was the sister-in-law or people at large, but, um, it, it's possible that he may have chosen not to take it due to the belief that the side effects would affect his game the following day. Side effects such as dizziness or lethargy, which would basically, you know, really slow down your gameplay and bring, you know, it's just you, when you want to be in the game, you want to be in the zone, you yeah, know? Yeah, you want to play at a hundred percent, give it your all. And yeah. If you have something that's kind of holding you back, then you'll risk not taking it in order to compete. Sure. sure. And I mean, so like it's it again, another kind of thing that is worth kind of thinking about. Sure. They've been in games together before. They're, they're all super passionate about the games that they play. But in this particular instance, this is their road to the special Olympics. So maybe in this 
high stress, high pressure kind of situation, he decides to to do something out of the norm. Right. And 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 I can see that, you know, I, I can understand that. But again, that's like that's just something we can't we can't know because yeah. there's no body to do blood there's work on. No way. We we just don't know. And um And that was the one tough. body that we haven't found too. Right. Like that was also the guy whose shoes were found in the trailer. Yeah. So where Ware's body was. I mean, regardless Does of how you else have missing shoes. Uh, I don't think anything had specified from what we had seen. Yeah, so it's possible that you know, regardless of what happened, and I, this is again, this is just me really shooting at the moon here. But uh, regardless of how things shook out, medicated or not, if they all ended up in this cabin, this this trailer, uh, for weeks. It is very likely that he would have ran out of doses, right? He would have ran out of his ability to to stay medicated, and it could have only spiraled the situation, which didn't need to start nefariously or sinisterly. It didn't need to start with some sort of ulterior motives as, you know, as morbid but fascinating as those theories could be. It could just be that, you know, this is how the cookie crumbled, and then it spiraled out of control from there. You know, and it, and also the what could address him not being found is that this is the wilderness, right? These bodies, or at least one of them, uh, was was messed with by wildlife, and so it could be that's why he wasn't found. I, I think um, them being out over at these trailers and whatnot, I feel like I can I can wrap my head around that, mm-hmm. and I mean I think it's pretty much solved at that point where it's used to come to the weather, mm-hmm. but the reasoning, right? Yeah, like. Even then, if even if you're just like, okay, it wasn't a medication thing until until during the time where they were in this area, there's still no like evidence of broken bones or bruises or foul play, mm-hmm. like physically. Mm-hmm. So even then, it's just like, I mean, it might have been weird or um, just a little off, but I don't see any evidence that he really did anything. Right. And I did check, and it looks like Hewitt at least had his shoes. Uh, not He was not wearing them, but they were near his body. They were near his body? Gotcha. Yeah. Not I sure thought there was the someone that didn't have them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was near his body. So, uh, like, if he had his hand in this then in a nefarious way, then it would be during that transition of, like, the game to, like, the area. Not actually right. at the area. Right. And that's in, where... In my mind. Exactly. And yeah. that's that could... That could potentially address the curiosity of how did they get so far off their planned route and was it misguidance and groupthink kind of going hand in hand now i guess one one thought i had with regards to why did they why did they continue up into the mountains when you feel like they would have backtracked now they were this lost and they realized it and they had come this far i can totally see uh, uh, you know it might not be perfect logic but you can go, listen, we drove for 30 minutes and there was nothing that way. So we might as well push on and hope that there's something there. It, yeah. I can see someone landing on a conclusion like that, especially out of fear, stress, not wearing winter clothes, out yeah. in the cold. Uh, when you started talking about like a cul-de-sac type area, you know, mm-hmm. um, the, if they were falling the snow plow and if they just made a route and the snow plow made a UE or something like that and they just didn't see it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they could have kept pushing forward when they couldn't and shouldn't have. But it's just, I don't know. Like, and I, I don't know this area at all. So it's one of those things where 
for me, from my experiences from going camping and going, it's like there's a clear transition of like, okay, I am now going towards the campsite. Like I see the signs, like the road is different. The elevation is changing, you know, like, I don't know. I feel like there's, there's signs that kind of tell you that like you're heading off like a main, main road and towards some really not highly traveled on area i just yeah i don't know man yeah that, that, that transition it just like it baffles me yeah i can't pin down why they decided to just go up there they didn't have the supplies they had something the next day i mean even if they got lost like they just drove up there and decided to keep going like i feel like it's there's a very apparent transition of like okay i'm now on a camp trail you know oh man i don't it's rough, man. Like there would be signs. I, yeah. And if it's, they're lost, and they're definitely going to be paying attention right. to the signs. Yeah. I mean, it's a rough one. I mean, as intriguing as this case is, it's quite morbid knowing the kind of like the end result. But it, it's, I think what stinks the most, especially for the family members, is that there's just nothing really to go off of. Yeah. Um, but with that said, I kind of want to read, I think I'll do it in its entirety. There's a letter here from some of the family members of the missing men. Now, while they were suspicious of Matthias, some of them anyway, the parents still joined together to publish a letter one year after the disappearance. And I want to read that now because I think it is interesting and it opens up one last thought that I kind of want to close on. But I'll read that in its entirety here. Quote, still one missing, still a reward. Editor, does it seem as long as a year ago, February 24th, 1978, when five young men, Ted Weyer, Bill Sterling, Jack Madruga, Jackie Hewitt, and Gary Mathias disappeared from our area. To all the parents and families of each, it has been longer, a lifetime. Each of us has had a share of fear, pain, and sorrow, but we've received a lot of sympathy and love from friends and even people we've never had the opportunity of meeting personally. Please let us say thank you to all the people who gave their time, work, and efforts for the recovery of the four who were found. Also, let this be a reminder to all that one, Gary Mathias, has never been located Please don't stop looking or let time dim your memories of the men who lived in your midst the majority of their lives. There is still a reward fund being held at a local bank and it will remain there until all five men are accounted for. A lot of questions have never been answered and possibly never will. Why were they in the area where they were found? Was someone chasing them? Who was in the pickup seen parked behind their car? Why did they leave the car and wander off into the snow when they could have easily driven back down the same road they drove in on? The car was not stuck in the snow as was reported. They each had some problems, but stupidity certainly was not one of them. Why did Butte County Sheriff's Department refuse the help of the forest rangers to go to the trailer camp with snowmobiles in March? At least one, and maybe others, may have been rescued at that time. Questions, but no answers. Bitterness, some. Anger, sometimes. Bewilderment, always. When your son leaves home with friends to go to a basketball game, do you always put your arms around him, give him a kiss, remind him how much you love him? You really should. He may never come back to you. Signed, Robert L. Clough, Ida M. Clough, Imogen Weyer, Jack C. Hewitt, Sarah M. Hewitt, Jim and Juanita Sterling. And that's the end of the letter. Now, as you kind of caught on at the very end, there is a bit of you know, skepticism thrown out there towards the police. Yeah. And, and we kind of dabbled with that a little bit, mm -hmm. but 
This letter suggests that the police didn't look as hard for their sons as they, as they could have. Perhaps it was due to some sort of prejudice for their disabilities, but others wonder if there could have been a cover-up since they didn't accept the help of the forest rangers or check the trailer that was so close. Uh, they didn't check that earlier. In fact, they didn't check it until somebody else found them, right, inadvertently. And so, you know, was this a mishandling? And so they tried to sweep it under the rug. Was it a, a forest rangers versus police sort of intermingling, like kind of rivalry for funding? Or I, I don't know. But it yeah. really is kind of worth mentioning uh, that that was something that was on the parents' minds. Yeah, I mean, just to play both sides, I I feel like if, if my child was missing in the woods and the police went and, and looked, I most likely would come out of it just feeling like they didn't look hard enough, mm -hmm. you know? I, it's just that feeling of just yeah. like throw everything at it and they're not, you know, obviously they're not, right? They're not going to throw 50 helicopters and like right. a thousand people. Um, they're not going to be out there looking for as long as I want to look, etc. Just mm -hmm. The weather conditions were dangerous. Yeah. You have to admit that. That's why they called it off, you know? And they, they went with what logic dictated to them which was that they would go down the mountain so it's easy to kind of look back and be like well you should have known right. maybe this is where they were so it's unfortunate that they were so close but but also to play devil's advocate too it's it's true that like they they could have used the snowmobiles and the help of the park rangers or the forest rangers to kind mm -hmm. of uh look up in this direction if they had otherwise had reason to think that they should look that direction and while there was the the, the forest ranger that saw the car the next day, it was a bit soon after the case for them to kind of know about it. But I feel like if the families were immediately working with the police, the police owed a bit of responsibility to communicate with right. other authorities mm -hmm. in the area to Most really definitely. put the feelers out. And so that way this, this ranger would have been aware yeah. of the, either this car or at least the missing five. And, and it might've materialized something. in something sooner you never know so a lot of cases just the smallest the smallest things like materialize and uncover the whole thing right, right. or even on the flip side like if someone's you know uh being the villain or being evil then they're small little like oh they just so happened to look uh, you know in this direction which was a camera and you know just small missteps or smallest different changes and things could just blow it wide open right and flip side there might have been something that they did here that you know maybe if that convenience store had camera footage we would have known a little bit more or something like that mm -hmm. just yeah it's, it's just a bummer things. you know because like, little things yeah it's those little things that if if something was slightly different if we had just one other piece of info or what have you like mm -hmm. would they have been able to find those trailers and would it have been in that eight to 13 week window that or prior to that that could have potentially saved lives right it's it's really rough and i can only sympathize with the family members but um at the end of the day like this is just one of those very open-ended cases kind of the polar opposite of sometimes when we when we have cases that are solved which kind of like settle nicely and that they scratch that itch yeah. and and you have that kind of nice closure this is just honestly one of the the one of the most open-ended mysteries i think the one one of the cases with the least closure and it and it is a bummer uh and i hate to end on such a bummer note but i mean it is what it is um, it's weird because the closure is like not in like at the beginning of the story it's yeah. not the end of the story where it usually is it's like smack dab in the middle 
It's knowing you know? what happened, you know, and, and also what happened to Gary Mathias, who was yeah. never found. Damn, it's a good one. Yeah. I like this one. I Very think it's going to be one of my favorites. This is where, you know, I really want to hear from you all, Task Force, as far as what your theories are. You guys have been great about tweeting us and emailing, leaving comments on the various places that you can, like the Rooster Teeth app and also uh, YouTube.com slash RedWebPod. But, man, I would love to hear some of your theories. Maybe we, uh, there, maybe there's some nuggets in there that you picked up on that uh, you can draw some conclusions or try to, you know, build a story out of that we didn't get to. but. Those are the various ways you can hit us up. There's also RedWeb at RoosterTeeth.com. But as always, one of the better ways to support this podcast is to uh, share us with your friends. If you have friends that are mystery enthusiasts, you want to noodle on this with them, have them join the task force. Uh, it's always a good time to hash this out. That's why I love having Fredo and Christian here with me. We get to hash these things out on the fly. Yeah, it bounce off each other. Um, but yeah, expand that task force. Talk to your friends. See if they can help you figure out some of these cases. But mm -hmm. otherwise, we'll see you right back here next Monday. Yeah. For another fascinating mystery. And be, out, be on the lookout for baby hands. It's at large. Hands out there. Always at large. And yeah. at small. Yeah, at small. <laughs> Very. Very tiny hands. <laughs>